Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Okay, welcome back to Two Guys, One Book. I'm Tim. And I am Brian. And today we are talking about the book Exhalation by Ted Chang? 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 It's spelled C-H-I-A-N-G. I know. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. I don't know either. I thought you would have Googled it something, like an I interview should've. with him or something. Like I usually do, yeah. but... You didn't this time? No, I didn't Google an interview this time. I think he keeps kind of a low profile. Like, I think he doesn't. he's not much on like social media or doesn't do many interviews, is the hmm. sense that I got in my okay. brief research. But yeah. Um, but yeah, he's sort of a well-known sci-fi writer. Um, he wrote a book. He writes like these short stories. He wrote one that the movie Arrival with Amy Adams was mm-hmm. based on. Um, Have you read that one? I haven't, no, have you? Okay, no, I haven't. Yeah. Have you read anything of his before? This is the first. So you just liked Arrival, mm-hmm. knew of a, that it was based on a short story, mm-hmm. and saw that this guy was released a new collection of short stories this past year. Yeah, and, and I heard good things about it. And that's that was your reason for picking this book? Yes. All right. Hey, I think that's a <laughs> good <approve>. reason. <laughs> I do. Arrival's a great movie. And, and we never uh, read like short stories before. Correct. Like a collection of short stories. Correct. So it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how our discu- discussion unfolds here mm-hmm. with um, nine little stories. Yeah, um, and we can go through each of them. But first off, like off the bat, what did you think of this overall? It's your book. I mean, did you? I mean, let's start with you there. Um, did you? So you just knew sci-fi writer short stories. Mm-hmm. So did you have expectations, and did it live up live up to those? It did. I actually really enjoyed this a yeah. lot. Yeah. It. Um, it was more kind of like I've never been a big sci-fi person personally. Like, what was that Arthur C. Clarke book we read? Or what was oh, that book we yeah. read? Oh yeah, Rendezvous with Rama. Yeah, that was Arthur C. Clarke, right? Yes. Like I thought it was like okay, and a lot of these books that are considered classics, I'm like, maybe I think they're good, but it's not really up my alley. But with him, I feel like he's unique and maybe more like philosophical in his approach. So right, I agree with that. But I would also say that. I think the reason Arthur C. Clarke did not resonate with you is maybe because it was a little older too. Like I feel like I feel like science fiction. I don't know. Maybe I'm. I haven't thought about the whole science fiction genre that much, to be honest with you. It is something I enjoy, but I do not seek out. Um, but because there's so much out there, it's like a whole nother. Like if you are really into sci-fi literature, there's all kinds of stuff out there for, for it. Um, but I feel like this was very good because like you said, it's more about philosophical about life and, uh, various themes that I like to talk about or think about in my own. And like the ethics of stuff Mm -hmm. and like definitely a lot of like cutting edge technologies with like, um, virtual reality, um, like artificial intelligence type things definitely play into this. It feels at times like a little bit like Black Mirror to me, but it's definitely not that dark on the whole with his stories. Right. No, it's not. But I, I agree. There is, um, it seems like these are, these are science fiction. Well, some of them, they, I think there, there's a variety of, uh, themes throughout, but it is more in the black mirror sense of that. These are potentially in our not too distant future. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what were you? What did you say? What would you say overall? Oh, I really, really liked it. Yeah. I thought the stories were extremely original and creative, mm-hmm. and I am amazed at 
some of the ideas that he put down in this book that um, someone was that imaginative. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed it, and and you know, not all of them I liked. Some of them more than others, of course. But I think that's why I like short story collections is because like it's not like everyone is like a fresh start. So even if you're into one and you're not really feeling it, you know it's temporary and you're going to go on to the next one. Yeah, and there's bound to be something for everyone, right. just about. Um, right. As opposed to when we read Into the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, I was like, God damn it, Tim, why did you pick this book and make me read this <laughs> long exposition about Mr. Dalloway's <laughs> feelings towards his children? We established like old books are bad, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just because a book is old and British and someone says it's a classic doesn't mean it's good. No, we're very open-minded. Um I wanted to ask you, in the written, because I listened to the audiobook, mm-hmm. did it have um, editor's notes in the written book? You mean at the very end? Uh, at the end of each story. They, editor's notes were at the very, very end of the book. Did you read those? I did. Okay. I thought those were very cool, too, because, like, well, I mean, it's author's notes. Author's I mean, notes. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Right. Because he explains about each story a little bit, where it originated, and what he was kind of trying to tell in the story, right? And how many books do that, where the author is just like... Here's what I'm talking about right here, you know. That's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why you didn't feel the need to Google and and find <laughs> yeah. out insights about the book. He explains everything yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't have to think for yourself at all in this book. He'll, Ted will tell you how Tim to think. Tim hates <laughs> thinking for himself. It hurts my brain. Yeah. He wants to be told exactly what to think of something. Yeah. Virginia Woolf should have just said, "Here's why we're going to the lighthouse. Here's why it matters." But no, it's. It's interesting to hear from their perspective, like, what they're going for. He doesn't... I don't think he over-explains anything. He just sort of, like, here's where I got this idea. Mm-hmm. I was interested in this topic and that topic and kind right. of, like, combine them. Right. I agree. It was a, it was a very nice uh, window into his thought process, but not overly so. Yeah. And he seems like a really curious guy. Like, it often starts... The notes would start with, like, I was attending a lecture on, like, the future of scientific... You know, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just, like, yeah. interested in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you want to go through the stories and kind of like... want to? We can. I think it'd be nice to go through it okay. more structured. And just kind of just like, just what our impressions were of each one. Yeah. And then the ones we like, we can like stay on longer right. and sure, sure. cover. So mm-hmm. the first one is... The Merchant and the Alchemist's Gate. <laughs> Thanks, you know, I mean, Brian. you can't just say the first one. I mean, like, they all have a title <laughs> for a reason. I didn't record know? each title. Oh, this is man. The Perils of the Audiobook is yeah. that... Oh, my God. It's all... Audio. So anyway. The first one. The first one. The Merchant and the what? Alchemist's Gate. Yeah. So I thought this was a cool mix of like time travel and kind of like an Arabian Nights tale. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, that's <laughs> that's more or less what <laughs> I have to say about it. <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I think this was my favorite one. Really? Yes. I think this was my favorite one. And it was the very first one in the book. Why was so it your favorite? It was all downhill from there. No, um, it was my favorite because I love time travel. I felt like this one had stories within the story that showed the different people. Basically, the alchemist has this gate that can go 20 years into the future or 20 years in the past. And um, whenever people walk through it, they go f- seek out their future self and then they want to learn about their current self so they can be rich or whatever, you know. So basically, um, and I felt like it took place in Cairo and the Middle East and Baghdad, like old old school. Like it, it seemed like it was in the past, but yet had this mystic 
element to it that you're right reminded me of the Arabian Nights tales um, and I love so like I said I love time travel and then it's the the alchemist is explaining to this merchant the past people that have gone through the gate and what they have either succeeded in or failed in doing and then the merchant then decides to go through it himself but he wants to go in the past and then he has to go to Baghdad to go to the gate there to go in the past or whatever but I'm good but basically I just thought it was so creative, so well done, and um, it had me like totally enthralled in this story. What did I'm trying to remember? Because since it was the first one, I yeah. can't remember as many details. Sure. Um, but it's like it's about different people who use this device from like a shopkeeper to a merchant to go back to the past, right? Well, they go to the future. Oh, they go. To they the, go to the future. Okay. Visit their future self to learn. From their future selves, what they can do to become rich and successful. Like one guy tells his past self to go find a treasure chest somewhere yes. and do this and that. But what were some of like the takeaways? Like, weren't there some consequences to like? Oh yeah, the second guy goes uh-huh. to his future self, sees him living in a, the same place he's lived at his whole life, mm-hmm. thinks that in twenty years I'm not going to become rich and successful. Well then. You know, what good, this guy, this, my future self doesn't need all that. And then he goes in and he doesn't, my future self doesn't need that money now. If I'm still living in the same place, I can rob my future self, take that money back to me currently, and then I can live it up right now. Mm-hmm. And he does that, but then he, his wealth, he squanders his wealth and then marries somebody, but, um, but then has to be honest with her that's realizing he's out of money now. And then they have to live as, frugally as they can because they have to save up this money because the his past self is coming to rob him right. because the, the whole premise of the story is that your destiny is written in stone and like you can't change the past you can't change the future all you can do is learn from it and i have some quotes from that story should we do quotes as we go or should we just yeah. wait the quotes go at the it. end because like that's one thing i loved about it was um and, and so the main character then wants to go to... So everyone goes to the future to learn from their future self to be more successful in the present. But the main character wants to go to the past because he has a regret that his wife, his love, the love of his life died and the last thing they had, the last exchange they had was an argument. And he wants to rectify that and maybe even save her. But then the whole premise, I think, comes down to this. Nothing erases the past. There is repentance, there is atonement, and there is forgiveness. That is all, but that is enough. And the, the character goes back in the past and is unable to save his beloved. But someone who knew her runs into him in the street and says, oh, like, I was the nurse that, you know, took her to the hospital or something. And she just, re, you know, her, as she was dying, her last wish, thoughts were of him and how much she loved him and all that stuff. So you can't change your destiny, but you can learn to live with, um, try to live with uh, what you've gone through. And like he says, there's nothing, you live with a repentance, atonement, and forgiveness is all you can do at times. Yeah. I think it's kind of where it gets pretty philosophical too, because it's like, yeah. if you were to visit your future self, like what kind of things would you tell yeah. your, your past self? Mm-hmm. Like, would you say to avoid these things because you don't want to make these mistakes and have these regrets or would that would you be the person you are in that future if you didn't go through those experiences right. 
So, and that's just one of the stories he tells of the future self of, of did not warn uh, one of the characters of being burglarized. He was burglarized in the market and he had to chase down his burglar, capture him, catch him, get his money back, but then show mercy to the burglar and let him go instead of taking him to the authorities. And he goes to his future self and why, why didn't you warn me about that? And he's like, well, did, you got your money back, right? He's like, yeah, it didn't feel good to catch him, but then still show mercy. And he's like, well, yeah. So he, like, that's just it. You live through, you know, not all of bad things in life should be avoided. And I think this goes back to what we talked about last week about coddling of the American mind is that to become a resilient person, you have to go through trials and tribulations, at least to some extent. So if you go to your future self, your future self should not tell you to avoid all, you can't avoid all misery in life. You just have to learn to endure and persevere and become more resilient. And I think that's another good lesson for the story message. too. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to go into the future or the past, which one would you go and go to? Probably the future. Yeah. What about you? I'd probably go to the future mm-hmm. because I'm always curious about what is next for humanity. Because like, um, I haven't lived long enough, I don't think, to have any desire to go back to my 15 or 14 year old self. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and, and like, I'm not, I wouldn't even seek myself out. I would just go to the future just to see what the future is like. Yeah. It'd yeah. be interesting to see like how the world unfolds. Right. That's why I love back to the future movies. Have you seen all three of those? I haven't seen it all the yeah, way through. You haven't seen not even the first one? No. Oh my god. I know. But I would say Back to the Future is so good, man. You gotta watch Back to the Future. Yeah. And then there's two and three. They're, those are, are good too. Yeah, th- those go into more of the whole time travel aspect of the story. I think with a lot of stories that focus too much on time travel, like that almost becomes a distraction though. Like on the technology itself. Like when you think more about the social philosophical mm-hmm. implications of it that's when i think it gets interesting yeah oh yeah i agree so. i agree yeah i wish i had more to say about the story i just no. don't remember that much dang man i thought that one left an impression on me because i really enjoyed it i i just felt like it was so i was so engrossed the whole that mm-hmm. i mean i didn't want it to end right i it took me honestly the first couple of stories like it took me a little time to get into it like yeah. i feel like it was just too i hadn't really read anything quite like it before so oh. it took some time for me to get into it okay so yeah, I don't think I was So overall, to it. do you like did you like the the short story collection like that oh, yeah. whole the structure of it, the you know, going through one story is super long, the next one's only like 5 pages and Oh yeah. Okay. I think it was good pacing and everything. Okay. One of my favorite art- authors is George Saunders and he does short stories. Oh, okay. He did a novel for his most recent book Lincoln and the Bardo, but my favorite one was his collection of short stories called 10th of December. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there's yeah, there's a one called I think Escape from Spiderhead, which is a fantastic creative story. Really? Yeah, I'll check but, that out. Yeah. Okay, what was the second story? Exhalation. The name of it was Exhalation. Yes, it was. Okay, so this one I thought was pretty trippy because it's basically like a guy is uh, <laughs> dissects his own brain mm-hmm. to better understand how like they like he functions and how his species functions. Right. Right. We should. When you say guy, what do you envision in your head? When you're when you were li- listening or reading to this, is story, it like some kind of creature? I don't understand that. Like it's my my impression of this was that it was like a robot type. Oh, really? Creature, yeah. Okay. Were, was that was not what you, you were envisioning? I thought some sort of people like in the future, oh. some sort of like futuristic, yeah. Okay. No, I, I think that's so cool because like he just. 
and that's the beauty of short stories is like they just get to the point mm-hmm. and they just tell you this little snippet and you just I think it just kind of it just forms in your brain however you right whatever you take that and and do with it is up to you mm-hmm. so I think that's one great thing about short stories and I think that's pretty cool that I, I had this envision of like a robot from like either Futurama or like uh, Rick and Morty mm-hmm. kind of cartoonish type character in this in this world that he was describing mm-hmm. but go on I mean I don't mean that oh no he just dissects his own brain but what is he trying yeah to so out? like the thing is what I thought was interesting too is um, like it was somehow it was in the future and like people weren't really like dying or like so like they would live a really long time so he couldn't just like dissect other people to find out what happened like if they did die it was in some accident that like um, you know, maimed their body or something. So he decided he had to dissect his own brain and then he had to live with whatever consequences that came with. But eventually he finds out that like air pressure in the atmosphere is increasing and that everyone is going to die eventually, yeah. like at some point in the future. Right. Um, and basically that understanding just like changes everything about the world they live in, just knowing that there's some like finite timeline mm-hmm. on the, to their like long lives as a species. Right. So, so how, what what did you think of the story overall? Did you like it? I thought it was pretty good, interesting. I yeah. thought this was the most creative one, really, because like the the whole he goes into fine he can, he goes into meticulous detail about this character dissecting his own brain mm-hmm. and like how he had to move uh, little tubes that connect from one thing to another so that he can move this little part out and so like that's what gave me the impression it was more like a robotic type yeah. creature. And they he, and they talked about these lungs filled with argon, and lungs were like not something that you breathe in and out, but like a canister of air that you that they hook up to and use the air to move and do all their functions and not only move but also think. That's when he's dissecting the brain. He realizes that the air circulates through his brain that makes them all think, and so this difference in air pressure means that the air in their head is moving slower and slower until they're eventually going to die many, many, many years from now. They're yeah. going to be extinct because of the air pressure in the world is increasing. And I felt like that was so creative. And I felt like the main character then had a very like existential and, and broader scope on the survival of the species. Because all this air is used for motion, thought, and speech. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to slow down. So like, they can stop their movement to conserve their air to be able to think more or they can think and speak and or they can move and then that would make them die faster yeah i thought the uh the effects of his research were interesting because like some people i think rioted or like got violent but then others were coming up with ideas for how they could extend the life but to me it seemed like he was trying to draw a parallel to like our universe is gonna like end at some point or solar system or like climate change even yeah. just like accelerating um everything so i feel like maybe that's the direction he was going in that's exactly what i was thinking was yeah. that it's it's very applicable to our situation with climate change where we see our influence on the world and we see the the negative effects we're having on the climate but yet we don't seem to be capable of doing any significant alterations to our behavior to fix that problem and we are slowly going towards this path of extinction and no one seems to really care Mm -hmm. um but yeah and then um 
let me do let me do read yeah, this yeah. last part. This is at the end uh, when this guy that dissects his own brain is is detailing his whole um, experiment and robot. expedition. Yeah, robot. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Though I am long dead as you read this, Explorer, I offer you a valediction. Contemplate the marvel that is existence and rejoice that you are able to do so. I feel I have the right to tell you this because, as I am inscribing these words, I am doing the same. So it's a good lesson to contemplate the marvel that is existence and rejoice that you are able to do so. Yeah, that's well said. So what was the third one? What was that called? The third one was called what's expected of us so this was a pretty short one yes it was and it was about how what i remember is that it's about how once people discover they don't have free will then they like lose all motivation to live and kind of go crazy yeah i thought that was this was very fascinating because it was very short but basically this this little handheld device with a light on it with what he said is a negative time uh displacement Mm -hmm. so that it will blink, and then one second before someone pushes a button on this this device, no matter what happens, it will always blink one second prior to someone pushing the button. And if you sit there and you're like determined not to push it, it will never blink. But if you think like you're gonna try to push it the second you see the light, you're gonna see the light and then instantly be one second late. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just so clever because then he says how that's that is a has a snowballing effect to where people slowly realize, like you said, that there is no free will, that this this device is, has um, opened everyone's eyes to the fact that the universe and human existence is deterministic mm-hmm. and that there is no free will and there's just no po- po- bother going on. And so some people did become like in a catatonic, like a waking coma or something mm-hmm. is what he said. I thought that was so creative. This reminded me of, we started watching this show called Devs on Hulu. Have you yeah, heard of that? Yeah, I started yeah. watching that too. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, what's, how far along are you? Uh, like whatever the latest episode is, like seven, I oh, think. Oh, really? Yeah. I went through four episodes. Okay, I'll spoil so. it for you. So, <laughs> no, I, I know what it's, it's a, no, no, go ahead, spoil it away. <laughs> because I, I know the general premise is that that is the same, same thing. Like, they have this quantum computer that basically predicts the future, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, just to go back a bit, like, it's by Alex Garland, who wrote, um, or he wrote and directed, like, Ex Machina and these other kind of, like, sci-fi futuristic stuff. I think there's some similarities in his work and Ted's work. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have some similar vibes to their material. Um, but, yeah, I know in, what is Ron Swanson? Um, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. <laughs> yeah. So his character. It's Ron Swanson, like you've never seen him before. Right, with a huge beard and like yeah. tech nerd yeah. vibes. Uh, so he's like the head of this big tech company, like some kind of Google type thing set way in the future. And I just know it talks a lot about like determinism and how we're basically on these tram lines that are like going in a certain path, but we don't really have full control over how everything's going to play out in the future. Which, um, yeah, just kind of like parallels the story i think mm-hmm. absolutely it does yeah. so yeah that was an interesting story it was i liked it. um so yeah and then once people found out they didn't have free will like some just like lost it like mm-hmm. they couldn't like right they couldn't function anymore in their day to day life knowing that they didn't have like control over right or what's gonna happen actually choice or free will and people tried to reason with them like well 
This doesn't change the fact that just a month ago you were living a perfectly happy life and you didn't have free will then. <laughs> right, yeah. And then they're like, but now I know. Just the awareness of it. Yeah. That's just it. That's a good point. Tim, do you, would you would would you be the per- kind of person that would fall into that state of despair if you knew that the universe was deterministic and that that's such a broad, like, hypothetical well, thing, yeah. though. I don't know. I don't I, I I want to impo- think no. And I think it's impossible for humans to actually truly be honest with themselves mm-hmm. about how they would react to that. You know, like, Sam Harris and guys yeah. like that who are, like, he talks about how we don't have free will, I think. Yeah. I don't know that much about his work, but, like, yeah. I just, to me, it feels like um, an unproductive discussion because it's, like, well, just because, like, because there is no definitive answer. Yeah, like, I don't think we're going to get anywhere on this topic. Yeah, but it's you don't think it's interesting to... Isn't that what The Good Place is about, too? A little bit. That people are good or people are bad, and the people don't change. Maybe. I mean, they talked about it in one episode. They, they I threw a lot season, of, like, concepts in there. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, it reminds me of, like, this interview. Was someone on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about, like, how we're living in a simulation Mm. and he just kept arguing that we are and joe rogan was saying how like what if we just haven't like invented it yet but he's like no if we had the ability to then we must have already and we are something like that and it was just like going in circles and Mm. i'm like these discussions aren't going to go anywhere because i feel like a lot of people are just gonna be like no we don't free will and it's like that's the end of i don't know i still don't all right so you just don't feel like it's productive because it's not going to lead anywhere like because nobody knows right? right What what do you think? I think there is... I find the idea curious. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by it. I think it very well could be a possibility that we are just programmed. Like, they. that's that's the whole thing is, like, our brains are just, uh, you know, a chemical combination that is designed to do exactly what we're doing, each one of us. And oh. that... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, so, like... I, I am intrigued by it, but I don't necessarily... I completely agree with you that, that we will never know. I mean, like, one I, way or the other. I think the hard part is that everyone has, like, a different definition of what free will is. Mm. If it's, like, I'm going to act how my brain chemicals tell me to act, then, like, yeah, I think that's I true. I see, that's just it. That's, that's ha- the ultimate argument is that our whole brain is hardwired to, to be who we are. Mm-hmm. And so that we can't any any decision we make so like some people will say well i am going to go to this restaurant instead of that restaurant tonight that's my free will but then like but then determinists would say like well then your brain you like certain foods so you're going to go to the either one of those restaurants is what you would do no matter what or something like that you know that's the thing it's like as someone arguing that we don't have free will everything can be heuristically explained away by saying, oh, that's just determinism. Correct. <laughs> you know? and, I, and I agree that that is a asinine and annoying thing from the deterministic argument point of view, but I can't see I'm intrigued. I will be honest that I am intrigued by it nonetheless, but I do not think at the end of the day that is the case. I just want my freedom. <laughs> I want to be like Mel Gibson in The Patriot. Oh, God. It's free. Doesn't he? No, he yells that in Braveheart. Every movie. There, Every movie. There's a Mel clause Gibson, in his contract the, that lethal he lethal weapon. Yeah. He has to say freedom. And that the one where he's like, "What women want? What women want? <laughs> <laughs> the freedom to know what women want." Yeah, it's a clause in his contract. Um, oh man. Okay, so I think the later stories is where I started getting more into this. Okay. So I think I I personally can go a little more in depth. 
The fourth story. Yeah. What was it called? The life cycle of software objects. This one I thought was really interesting. Mm. Where it starts with this woman who's basically she was a zookeeper, and then some like futuristic startup company wants to hire her to become a digital zookeeper for these digions, which are like virtual animals. Right? That's the starting right. point. Right. So what do you think about this story? I thought this was a waste of a hundred pages. <laughs> See, that's funny. You love the time travel one, but you didn't like this one. No, I like this one a lot. What did you like about it? Okay, so it did feel like a Black Mirror thing to me, which mm -hmm. you know I think is interesting. Um, so for one thing, it doesn't feel that far off to have this virtual world with avatars and then have like caretakers and trainers with them, mm -hmm. because like we already have like I don't know Second Life or like world of warcraft or some kind of like online you, thing you could even argue that our own twitter instagram facebook's are an avatar of ourselves they're not our true representation of our life but we like to think they are it is where we display our best and and you know our most fun aspects of our life are all displayed on social media I, for the whole world to like and approve yeah, of that's right very deep brian but <laughs> i don't think this is meant to be a commentary on social media you don't think it what no, no why not Not at all this is about her training these like ai animals from a young age he says in his author's note at the okay, end yeah so so I, I, like she's this digital zookeeper and she's training these um digions right and they're growing and he even says in the author's note like as a person grows from like one to like 20 years old i mean we don't really make much of ourselves until we're you know it takes about 20 years to become like a real person and, um so he talks about that in the parallels to animals but it's kind of like ready player one it felt like to me too i don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen that or read that or like neopets <laughs> i know my sister is really into neopets uh growing up <laughs> but like you have little pets and you train them mm -hmm. but anyway um it's just it's very interesting philosophically like what if ai avatars get so advanced to the point that like some have like legal rights in the story and some want to like have the freedom to make their own money to own property um that sort of thing so but that's just it like wouldn't you think that the ai all right, so his whole premise for this story is that these Digions are like basically children, that you have to spend the time to raise them and teach them and, and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that these Digions were like, what, 10 years old or something like that when a sex uh, company was trying to get by rights to one of them to make them into, uh, was it a sex avatar or something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. But wouldn't be just purely for sex. It would be for companionship and all this, blah, 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 blah. So that was the main thing. was like, do these people that spend all these years raising their Digions sell a copy of one to a um, sex, what, what was it? Digital playground or something? No, yeah. that's the real one. <laughs> but... Um, but to, in order... And they, and they want to... They, they need money. At the end of the day, they need money to further uh, host their Digions on the right server or something. Because the company um, went out of business right, right. that created them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's like them trying to raise these Digions who are artificial intelligent beings. And that's my, that's my thing is like, I don't think this is very practical or applicable to actual AI. Or is this kind of like, how, what's that called? 
if you want to teach them a, what a cat is, you send them a bunch of pictures of a cat. And then, what's that? Like machine learning? Machine learning, machine learning. thank you. Yeah. Yes. So is this kind of his variant on machine learning? Where if you got these digit avatars that are like beings, then you got to, for them to actually, to use machine learning to learn what it's like to be human, you have to actually go through the process of raising a child almost. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of the point, but also part of it is the context with the character, the main character, mm-hmm. the caretaker, because she gets really attached to the Digions, mm-hmm. which um, she did as a zookeeper with real animals, and then with these as well. So even after the company like goes bankrupt, she wants to keep hers and raise it, and um, and then there's also this like kind of love story intertwined where like her and another guy who loves his Digion kind of like are into each other but his girlfriend is like not about it mm-hmm. so um so that was going on at the same time i thought that was a good little like side story mm-hmm. but yeah i mean when it talks about how they need space f- for this server so they can like go back to this real uh universe that they were living in before so that um someone could sell their digion to become like some sex avatar for like these people and that's kind of enters this like ethical morality discussion where it's like, is that ethical? And like, she was not okay with it, but the guy kind of like regretfully did that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I like the story. Yeah. But like I, at the end I was like, I didn't, I was not attached to the Digians to the point where I felt like they were, this story is about free will, intelligence, and like, when is something capable of independent, independent decision-making? In, in AI sense, because like when are, I mean like, because the main character's main point, the zookeeper, said that like, she doesn't feel like the Digians are basically don't have enough life experience to make the decision to become uh, the, the sex avatars on their own uh, free will. Mm-hmm. Because they had never been in a relationship, or they don't know what it means to be in a, uh, yeah, you know, relationship with an with actual another being, and whereas one of the avatars was breaking it down just very rationally, like if we wanted to keep existing, we have to sell one of our copies to this other company so that we can get money, so that we can keep existing. Like he just, I mean, I think he rationalized it so well. One of the avatars, one of the Digians. That, you know, like, I get her point that they, they don't have that experience of, like, actual being in a relationship. But, like, they're AI. You know, I, I just didn't see the whole dilemma there. I wasn't, I mean... But she had an emotional attachment to her. Right. So, like, is it any less valid of one just because they're not, you know, physically uh, real? I would say yes. You don't love your Pokemon? <laughs> You don't love your little Charmander? I mean, yeah. I mean, like at the end of the, I like my video games, sure, and I enjoy playing my video games. But at the end of the day, I realize that it is a, it is not reality. We're just maybe, not there yet. Maybe that is that is that another thing? Is that are we going to get to the point where virtual reality is going to substitute some of our human needs in the real world? Yeah. Well, that's basically like uh, what's that movie? Her with Joaquin mm-hmm. Phoenix. I think that's a great movie and it's like he gets um he falls in love with this like really advanced like siri alexa digital assistant who's like fulfills all his like you know emotional needs. social emotional yeah. needs and then um so yeah i feel like 
that's uh, along the same lines as this story. I guess I can buy that because I feel like that is a very realistic um, path for our, our human future is that as virtual reality becomes more advanced and more readily available to the general public, I feel like there will be more people that use that as an avenue of escapism from their everyday life and then find meaning through that alternate universe that they created in the virtual reality. Mm. But I feel like these Digians did not do it for me. So <laughs> That's fine. This was the longest story in the book. <laughs> and I found it... Different stories speak to different people. I guess. And Brian doesn't like the good ones. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love this book on a whole. That's a story I didn't That's like. That's fine. All right. You want to... Uh, what's the name of the next one? Uh, Daisy's Patient Automatic n- n- Nanny? Is yeah. that right? Automatic Nanny. Yeah. So this is a pretty short one. Mm-hmm. So he would alternate, I think, a longer one with a shorter one. But basically, it was like this... Um, this device and this was set in like the early 1900s or something mm-hmm. so it was some kind of like robotic device that would basically like raise a baby yeah. so it just talked about a little bit of the history with it and uh i guess one baby had died from it because someone tried to adjust the settings on yeah. it and it just like it was like um it was like a robot yeah nanny i mean like it was like a whole full-fledged yeah arms and everything so i felt like that was an interesting you like way. this story it was okay. I mean, yeah. I, I found it interesting that, like, the child that was supposedly raised by one didn't respond to humans after he was two or three and then would only respond to, like, mechanical things. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. This is sort of a side note in the story, it seemed like, but, like, it seems like human touch, especially early on, is really important for, like, a child's development. Mm-hmm. And, um, but one thing I like that he mentioned in the author's note is that he got the idea from someone wrote like a book of an anthology of like inventions that never happened or something. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Just like someone imagining these things, like an automatic nanny that like could have existed, but never really did. Right. So, and he takes it from there. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he kind of admits that like he didn't necessarily come up with all these ideas, Mm -hmm. but he was inspired by the starting point and kind Mm -hmm. of goes from there. Okay. Uh, next one. Next one is called The Truth of Fact, The Truth of Feeling. This might have been my favorite. Ah. Like, definitely top three. Um, so, essentially, it's about this technology called Remem, like Remember. And it, it reminded me of the Black Mirror episode where he records everything in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And, like, everyone can see the history. It's called The Entire History of You, I think. Yeah, right. right. So, yeah. Yes, we'll it, was, about it. it was pretty much exactly the same. This Remem, everyone records records all their daily activities mm-hmm. or sometimes at first it was intermittently people would record some of their activities but not every day but now people record all of them and this remand will go back through on your eyeball and and be able to replay anything that you ask it to and you'll be able to say like well who did i have dinner with on you know like one year ago or something and they'll be able to replay the dinner or, and what you eat at that certain restaurant or whatever you know you mm-hmm. could, it was basically a go- you could google search your own personal active active life it would bring up a video instantly and you could but uh the other cool thing about the story is like it was told at the same time about um a missionary in like some tribe uh i don't know what's that well here's my question to you do you feel like so basically this story had two parallel stories within it Mm -hmm. do you feel like they were told at the same time no i think one was a historic like set Mm -hmm. in history right and this was set in the future more so right 
But um, so the missionary story was this guy going to some tribe and introducing like the concept of writing to them. So this tribe has always used like oral history and this kind of like subjective experience of events that happened. And then he, uh, the missionary is trying to get them to use like the written word as a source of truth because he's teaching them like the Bible and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just talks about how like, and I never really thought about this much, but um, how written the written word and books and that sort of thing like we re- record history in a certain way and that changes our interpretation of it our memories of it um and with oral history it kind of served different purposes in some ways and filled different needs of the people who used it right so i thought that was very interesting i very much like this one too i thought it was very creative and the two uh parallel stories throughout the whole um the length of the story uh fit well together mm-hmm. um and this in the remem in the one that had the remem it was basically a journalist doing a story about remem and how he remembered he was a single dad raising his daughter and he remembered one thing where she yelled at him and they had this big argument when in fact it, when he got remem he played it back and it was actually he was yelling at her this felt this nasty thing and that made him uh, see the benefits of remem and try to become a better person which i thought was interesting does it make you wonder how many like things you've misremembered in your past? Like if I'm like, wow, that person was a jerk to me. It's like, oh, maybe I was a jerk this whole time. <laughs> no, Tim, you're perfect. Don't yeah. Worry. I don't think I've ever made a mistake. So I don't think it would No, I feel like that's, that's, I like that spin on it that he took. The mm-hmm. fact that there was this big moment in this guy's life and it was actually misremembered. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, um, I have some quotes about that. Because this is the, the journalist first talking about Remem. Mm-hmm. But even if Remem isn't constantly crowding your field of vision with unwanted imagery of the past, I wonder if there aren't issues raised simply by having that imagery be perfect. Forgive and forget goes the expression. And for our idealized magnanimous selves, that is all you needed. But for our actual selves, the relationship between those two actions isn't so straightforward. In most cases, we have to forget a little bit before we can forgive. When we no longer experience the pain as fresh, the insult is easier to forgive, which in turn makes it less memorable, and so on. So he starts out kind of criticizing Remem as a journalist. Correct. And he's cynical about it because he's like, couples are just going to use this to keep score and mm-hmm. be like, you said this, no, you said this. And it's like, let's go back and watch. Yeah. So that every argument now, you, and it's like... And that was basically how the Black Mirror episode went. Yeah. Was that that couple used their their digital memories just to basically pick fights with each other and prove who was right and who was wrong and why do you keep doing that and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But which is not a good healthy way to do, to use it. Right. And and just thinking about like the functions that memory serves and forgetfulness too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like uh, maybe there is something about um, having vague memories of things or having time to get over stuff, mm-hmm. over grudges and then like and also this concept of like rosy retrospection mm-hmm. um, is like you have these fond memories, but if you actually went back and watched like the time you spent as a kid doing this thing you remember, so that's so special, you might look at it and think it's kind of mundane. So part of it is just maybe romanticizing the memory mm-hmm. of that experience, which is which is perfectly fine and makes it yep. even uh, gives you a happy memory to fall back on in times of sorrows, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's. He's saying he's like very skeptical of the technology, but then he comes around and it's like, um, 
he talks about how like we can't prevent the adoption of digital memory any more than oral cultures can stop the arrival of literacy. Mm-hmm. So that's where the parallel comes in. Right. And um, and then he says, I think I found the real benefit of digital memory. Uh, the point is not to prove you were right, but the point is to admit you were wrong and just um, right. Yeah, just come to terms with like if you were you know, being a certain way towards certain people or, you know, just accepting your past and trying to, like, um, you know, come to terms with that and apologize for what you did, yeah, I think. Absolutely. I think so, that's a great message. Yeah. Yeah. I like the story a lot. Yeah. I like the other one, the the parallel story about the, the Native people and the missionary. I thought that was interesting, too. The way he just talks about how the missionary taught this one uh, Native person how to read and write and how... Let me find a good passage for that one. But how he just talks about how the missionary showed him how to make each of the different marks on a sheet of paper using a tiny wooden rod that he had that had a core of soot. So basically he explained a pencil mm-hmm. and how all these and just writing all the letters down in a line. Like a line of letters was like a row of uh, seeds in a field. Or yeah. Something like that. I thought that was I like the part where the tribal guy called him a bad storyteller. Because he was like, you're just like telling me what happened. But like in their culture, they were really animated about it because Mm -hmm. they were just more expressive in how they told stories. Um, But I thought this quote was good. He says like, oral histories don't need to be accurate as much as they need to validate the community's understanding of itself. And um, each of us is like a private oral culture and we rewrite our past to suit our needs and support the stories we tell about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Because each time we remember a past event, we are actually creating that event, recreating that event in our mind. Mm-hmm. Each time we remember it. So, like, you know, we can, if we remember something a lot, then we'll, you know, get most of the details right. But if it's other things that we don't remember, you know, if we don't think about them that often, then we're going to, whenever we recall them, one slight detail might be different until we get the whole thing flip flopped or something like right. that. It's just very curious how the brain works and memory. And yeah, this was an interesting story to reflect that. But it seems like either way, the technology is going in that direction where it's like every more and more things are getting recorded mm. and stored. So for better or for worse, yeah. it seems like it's Would you that record direction. your whole life? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Would you? No. Really? No. Well, you don't have free will, so whatever... <laughs> Whatever is going to get decided, it's going to get decided. That's uh, touche. <laughs> Trapped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like with kids these days, like, so many kids' lives are recorded on videos and, like, put on Facebook and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it, it's hard for me to imagine as a kid. Like, for you and I, I think we just have, like, a few photos here and there of, like, oh, I, like, I kind of remember having, like, that toy or, like, doing that thing. But now it's going to be weird for a kid to look back and be like, wow, like, that's me as a baby. Like, yeah. Online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, I wonder if, like, yeah, when you Google search your name in the future, like, future generations, when they Google search their name, are they going to be able to find a whole trove of online uh, media of their whole life? Mm-hmm. That'd be weird. Depends yeah. on the privacy yeah uh standards in the i mean future. we're all gonna be based on a qr code in the future anyway right <laughs> like i mean it's basically gonna be your phone your qr code you're gonna scan it wherever you go and it's gonna be you know able to track your every action you've been reading too much dystopian <laughs> dystopian fiction yeah all right do you want to do the next one yeah 
Oh, you mean the Great Silence? The Great Silence. The Great Silence. So this is a story about like the search for aliens and then life on Earth, but it's told from the perspective of a parrot, of a parrot yes. from a parrot, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. So what did you think about this one? I thought it was, I thought it was very, very cool, too. Uh, the parrot's basically saying that how humans are wasting all this time trying to find intelligent life in, in the outer space when, you know, parrots have been here for years. Yeah. No, but the thing is, like, he's, he's saying how, like, parrots have their own language and like they're super smart you know as far as animals go and like and like why haven't we made more of an effort to like understand them and when you think about it, like other species like dolphins and all that like why are we so obsessed about like maybe finding a flower on some distant planet like i just think it'd be super like there aren't enough like biologists and like people who study animals to understand how they work really i think there's people out there doing that i mean yeah there's like david attenborough but <laughs> that, it's only one guy, you know. Is it a Richard Attenborough? I forget. I get the Attenboroughs mixed up. One directed Jet, or one was in Jurassic Park. The other one does the. I think David Attenborough does the nature Planet stuff. Planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I think there's plenty of biologists out there. I mean, I don't think we're gonna have. So, do you expect some sort of breakthrough with uh, animals on Planet Earth that we're gonna be able to better understand them in the future? <sighs> to me, it's just like there's so much we don't know about animals right. like why they do what they do how they do what they do and it's like why don't why aren't more people interested in better understanding that versus like going into space and like space is super cool i don't want to be like anti-space it sounds like you're anti-space <laughs> you know what screw space <laughs> no i think space is cool but it's like at the, you know at the end of the day like how much is out there like we have all this like earth is such a special place and all, we have all this like biodiversity and stuff like, we need to appreciate it. And all these species are dying. But we evolved to be on the top of the food chain for a reason, Tim. Because we're the dominant force on planet on the planet. <laughs> There's everyone, all the other animals, the flora and the fauna, all bow to our whims. We are the masters of our domain. <laughs> so we have to find another planet to go and destroy now. Yeah, I know you're being sarcastic, but <laughs> a lot of people will probably think like that. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I get your point. I do. That there's plenty of exciting things to learn about planet Earth still. And, like, the ocean, the depths of the ocean. Mm -hmm. There's so much, like, unexplored stuff. They just found an animal that's, like, 40 feet long or something. Like, this stringy jellyfish really? type thing. Huh. Yeah. It's like, why? Have they talked to it yet? Not yet. Okay. Yeah. They're trying to learn how parrots, how to communicate yeah. with them first. <laughs> But yeah, if you were like an animal and you had all this interesting stuff to share, but people are just looking for aliens, like I don't know. See, I don't think animals have that much interesting stuff to share. They're 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 driven by their evolutionary uh, need to you know get food and reproduce and don't get eaten. Okay, but they're not going to share to us some great enlightened thought that humans haven't already thought of. So not necessarily thinking though, but just like. Um, there's this whole field called like biomimicry, which is about how like we come up with concepts that mimic biology and like mm -hmm. range different things to um, architecture, design, technology, and all these different areas. And it's like I've seen this uh, TED talk about how like this guys will study like how animals move to better inform like robotics. So like the way like a lizard moves, he like rotates his whole body and like and so they design. I don't know. He did it in slow motion, mm -hmm. and then he shows like the robot that was inspired by that. And so like. The point is, like, these things evolved over thousands, thousands, millions of years or whatever. So it's like, yeah, we got to understand it. Okay. 
right. I thought this was interesting because in the notes he said he evolved from an art exhibit or something that he, that, um, yeah, somebody was doing an art exhibit about the Arecibo uh, satellite dish in Puerto Rico or um, something. And then he, so they asked him to write a little something about parrots. The parrots of Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. I think, was their art exhibit or maybe some... Uh, uh, zoo or nature exhibit or something and that's where this originated from mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting yeah He's, he gets ideas from all sorts of yeah. venues um, okay so the last story no, number second, nine. Second to last oh second to last story Omphalos that's the one about yeah O-M-P-H-A-L-O-S yeah okay Omphalos so it's about um, this like archaeologist who kind of studies the creation of mm-hmm. things and how we can like measure history by um, tree rings and like lines on shells and kind of find the origin of life that way or find when life began. So, yeah, what did you think about this one? It was okay. I mean, I and it, I'm glad again for his author's notes at the end. He explained it a little more, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. Um, it was all. It was kind of about how. Up until the 1600s or so, we thought the Earth was only like 20,000 years old or something like that. But then science eventually, we learned more and we, we you know, expanded our knowledge and our, you know, uh, view of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always important. And so we just took this a different way where like it's more modern and we have these archaeologists that trace the tree rings back until there's no more tree rings and then... That prove you know, and other things prove that the Earth was only X amount of years old, and then they find this other universe with or other solar system with a another planet. Wouldn't that be interesting if we? I know he kind of like made this up to some degree, but like, um, I mean, tree rings tell history, but it's not like you can go go back that far right, really. Right. But if there was a way to tell like history dating back millions of years, and that everything uh, ended or began at a certain time. Like, you could only trace history up to a certain point, then you'd have to infer, like, things were created at some point. So, yeah, the main character in this was, like, pretty religious. And um, so it was just kind of, like, this synergy of science and religion and trying to, like, I think appreciate nature and also kind of understand how things came to be. Mm -hmm. So, Right. This one Mm -hmm. didn't quite grab my imagination like the others did. Yeah, I didn't think it was as strong, but... Um, and then isn't like a side story in it that there, someone's like building a church in like Yosemite Valley or something mm-hmm. like outside. And, um, I don't know. I think a point that the archeologist character I thought was interesting because she's trying to like just better understand nature and history. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean, I felt like it was an interesting perspective and how it seemed like she was religious and a lot of people were religious, but it was more of a, um, building the church in Yosemite was more like a natural celebration of the earth kind of religion aspect of it. Like, um, it felt like they were more cognizant of like the earth is their home that was created specially for them. So they should be, take care of it and celebrate it. Mm -hmm. And so when they find this other planet, it's like a big buzzkill. Yeah. There's like a physicist or astronomer who like finds another planet and then all these people start to question their faith. But She's she basically concludes like it ends on kind of like this empowering note about how like um you know we're 
free to discover what meaning is to us. It's not necessarily like written in stone. Mm-hmm. Okay, last one. Yeah, last one is anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. This one I really liked. This was probably my second or third favorite. What was your favorite then? Uh, uh, truth of thought, truth of truth the, of fact, the remem technology one. Yeah. yeah. So okay. the remem one, the Digion one, and then this one were the my Digion three favorite. One? Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right, go on. Okay, so um, yeah, this was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was basically about this like um, paraself. Is that what it was called? Mm-hmm. So um, we had these. It's like the multiverse theory, I think. And you love Rick and Morty, oh, right? Oh, yes. So. This, this one was right up my wheelhouse. Because, yes, you want me to go R- into Right it? up your alley or in your wheelhouse? No. <laughs> it's in my wheelhouse, which is... Wait, it's up my alley? In my... It was near my alley, <laughs> just outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah, please, it go was, into Yeah, it. so basically, there were these uh, special devices called prisms, which are basically like a little box where you can... With a screen... Uh, it's like a little computer, I guess. But people would take these prisms, and the prism itself is able to create a parallel universe. And you flip a switch to activate the prism, and there's two lights, a blue light and a red light. And you flip the switch. It's so like someone would take a prism. They would buy it. They would, they would own it, and they would say, I am going to, if this light is red, I'm going to quit my job. If it's blue, I'm going to keep up working at the same place. They flipped the switch, and whatever the color light is, they would do that, and the universe that the prism creates would do the other alternative. So they can check in with their paraself in this prism and see how their paraself is doing, and see if they made the right choice or the wrong choice, and then it just leads to a bunch of, I mean, like a lot of people second-guessing themselves, and then as prisms become more popular, even if you don't make a life decision where you activate a prism, you can hire this company, like a private investigation company, where they will research and try to find a prism where you may be, you know, maybe decided to grow a mustache in one, or maybe you, you broke up with your girlfriend in another one, and then you can see how your life lived out alternatively. I think the idea is so interesting because it's like, everyone I think wonders, how would my life turn out if this happened or this didn't happen? So it's all these alternate realities are going on and you can check in with yourself simultaneously. So like years down the line, just be like, what is my life like now if I, 20 years ago, I did this decision? Right. Oh no, I thought, I thought this was a completely original and, and creative idea. Um, would you create a parallel self of yourself, a paraself? Would I create a paraself? Um, I don't know. I probably would at some point. I'd be curious to see uh, something. And then what would I... The real question is, what would you do if your paraself life got better than your current life? Mm. And what would you do, Tim? What can you do? <laughs> Just you throw your prism away. That's what <laughs> I would do. Yeah. And, and it... that's what... That, and that, so that's basically when... when aspect of the story was that there's these support group for people who are addicted to their prisms and their paraselves and obsessing over the fact that their paraself is better than they are it reminds me of that um did you watch that paul rudd show living with yourself on netflix it's really good it's like the same idea where except he gets like cloned but his version is like the perfect version of himself so it's kind of like how would you deal with that yeah i think it kind of sucked just like oh that's what i could be you know so you would not do a 
create a prism and create a power pair of self. I want to say no, but just out of curiosity, yeah. I probably would. Yeah, I know. And so in, in the story itself, there was uh, this prism that they... Th- this one guy had a prism where this celebrity couple... One of them, one one person in the celebrity couple died in a car crash, and in, in in real life, and then in his prism, the other person of that couple died in the car crash. So then they're trying to get this prism. They being the people who work at these companies that mine and extract this data from other prisms. So they are trying to get this one prism so they can sell it to the celebrity that survived in the crash, and then see. Which, I thought. Oh, go ahead. I mean, that, which was I felt like an interesting. I thought it was a really good story because it's basically like a pawn shop kind of in the sense like, well, I just feel like that's the vibe I was going for. This guy's kind of like an opportunist, an opportunist where he would um, get these old prisms that people sold or didn't want anymore. And then he would sell them to people who wanted like to explore um, alternate realities. Um, So yeah, the person died. And then the, this woman who worked there, she went to this therapy group for people who were struggling with their paracels. So it's like one guy like, in one version of the reality like he was dating this girl that he wanted to date but she didn't want to date him in the current reality so he was like look we're the perfect match over here like we should be together and she's like no i'm good yeah, i thought that so, was so funny yeah <laughs> so like all these good. people are in a support group for like and so but anyway the girl working at the store goes there to like somewhat infiltrate it so that she can get the guy who has the prism with the guy um who died in the car crash has him alive in that reality right. and she's trying to like earn their trust and get him to sell it to the store <laughs> which is a great undercover like yeah. yeah no i mean it's very hard to explain it verbally i think i think like we're not doing it just uh, i nailed it i'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah no i mean it, it was very yeah it was very vivid and um engaging yeah and then another part i and this was kind of like an aside in the story but i thought it was cool that like people sold news from like parallel worlds so it's like if your sports team was good like the Bengals could be like winning the super bowl uh-huh. in some other universe so it's like you would just you could argue that like look how good they are over here you know <laughs> um so like different news from different if only worlds. they fired marvin lewis two years ago yeah <laughs> 14 years ago maybe <laughs> yeah so and then yeah. and then in the support group it kind of came up like does character remain consistent across multiple worlds because it's like someone was arguing well does it really matter if i do the moral thing or not mm-hmm. like if i make a good choice or a bad choice at the end of the day like there's all these versions of me making different choices so why does it matter what i decide to do now but the leader of the support group was basically saying how like at the end of the day, our character is consistent across the different universes. So mm-hmm. you might make slightly different decisions, but like, yeah, you kind of are who you are to some extent too. All right. Yeah, this was a great story. I like this one a lot. Yeah, it was good. And I feel like the the woman who was working at the pawn shop uh, redeems herself in the end. Yeah, because she decides not to take money for selling the cube. No, she does take the money. No, she doesn't. Yes, she does. No. Because at the end... Her, the person that runs the support group mm-hmm. got this package of these videos from these pads long that these these old prisms right yeah she so this woman named Dana runs the support group and she betrayed her friend's trust back in high school and then it sent her friend down a path of uh, thieving and drugs and 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 getting arrested multiple times and then then 
Dana continued to feel guilty about that, and, and then she would p- give money to the, her friend to help get her through co- community college or another business idea or whatever. And she gets this mysterious package in the mail of all these alternate universes where her friend, where Dana does not betray her friend, but yet her friend still goes down this this path towards uh you know problems with the law and money and all this other stuff yeah so at the very end i i gotta look up the last line because it it why does that mean she sold the because so 15 years was how long it had been since dana and vanessa had gone on that field trip data brokers were just getting started then and the prisms of the time had much smaller pads than modern ones she was surprised that any data brokers still had prisms of that vintage, let alone ones with enough data left to their pads to transmit video. Those were the most valuable prisms that data brokers owned, and transmitting these videos had probably exhausted their pads. Who could? Who would have paid for this? It must have cost a fortune. That doesn't mean that she used money from that. Absolutely, it no, does. It, doesn't. it completely it implies. That the main character Nat no. took the money from the celebrities and spent it on Dude. all these prisms to to relieve Dana of her guilt. I just listened to this though, and she talks about how she goes to an AA Nat goes to an AA meeting Correct. at the end, right? Yes. And she's telling them how like she made the right choice. She made the right choice because oh, you want to read that quote too? Yeah. All right, <laughs> let's do this. Yes, Nat goes to an an NA meeting. A narcotics and okay. yeah. But recently I had this this opportunity to do something actually nice for another person. It wasn't anyone I had wronged, just someone who was hurting. It would have been easy for me to behave the way I always have, but I imagined what a, a better person might do, and I did that instead. I feel good about what I did, but it's not like I deserve a medal or anything, because there are other people for whom being generous comes easily, without a struggle. And it's easy for them because in the past they made a lot of little decisions to be generous. It was hard for me because I made a lot of little decisions to be selfish in the past. So I'm the reason it's hard for me to be generous. That's something I need to fix or that that I want to fix. I'm not sure if this is the right group for that, but this is the first place I thought of. So she's saying that I feel good about what I did, but it's not like I deserve it because, yeah. So I took that to mean that she felt good about not accepting the money for the prism. That's what that's what Ted wants you to think. <laughs> Why do you know what Ted thinks? What because she... at the very at the very end, Dana, there's no way anybody would have gotten that those packages. Dana gets a whole package of prisms. She could have just sent it to her without using money from the thing. She worked at the store. No, the, the other guy it got shot in the a face. Fortune is what she said. Yeah. Because yeah, well, she still worked there. And the no, other guy got shot no, in the face. No, no, no. <laughs> no, there's no way she would have had the money to do that. She took the money. Because, like, that's just the... All right, so basically, when Nat takes the prism to the celebrity couple, yeah. they're like, yes, we want it. Pay them what, what they want. Right. And they enter the bank account, and Nat is, like, sitting there with her finger hovering above the, the submit or the receive button or something. Right. And then that cuts to the next chapter. And then she goes to the NA meeting and she said, I made the right decision. Because uh, <laughs> that's just it. They want you to... Yeah, but it was a good story. Oh, it was a very good story. I yeah. liked it. So your favorite one was the first one? My favorite one was the first one, The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. 
Yeah, mine... Oh, go ahead. And then my second favorite one was this anxiety is the... Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Which I like Cool title. If you think about it. Because... So, we get anxious. It's just the dizziness of freedom. So, like, we're free to do whatever we will. We have free will? Yeah. (laughs) No, I... Said I ultimately believe in free <laughs> And then because we have free will, that gives us anxiety because we know our decisions have so much weight and there's no going back. Yeah. We have so many options. We have so many parallel worlds we could see ourselves living. Correct. But it gives us anxiety because it's yeah. like, I can do all this different stuff. Yeah. So yeah, those are my two favorite. So you like the... Yeah, uh, that one, Digion one, and... Uh, <laughs> Dude, people like the Digions. Really? Yeah. What do you mean, people? Google, I looked at some reviews of this book, and a lot of them were talking about that story. That's because nerds want sex avatars. (laughs) Wow. Way to oversimplify. (laughs) That's what Ted wants you to think. (laughs) Yeah. Just because you didn't like a story doesn't mean it doesn't have merit, Brian. Oh, sure. I'm sure. No, no, no. I mean, I'm perfectly willing to admit that it has resonance with certain people. Yeah. The nerds who want sex avatars. Yeah. Don't get it. You don't want to talk to a parrot. All right, all right. You just don't care. All right, we've talked long enough, right? Yeah. All right, so do you want rating time? Yeah. You want to go first or you want me to go first? You go first. You want me to go first? I always go first. I'm going to surprise you, Tim. I'm giving this a five. Wow. Yeah. You ever give it a five? Yeah, I've given it a five. But mostly to my books. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Never give me a five. You're a five, Tim. Don't worry. Out of 10. Uh, <laughs> Out of 20. Yeah, thank you. I'll give it a five as well. Really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so I, I think this is the first, our first double five. All right, so... What's our book, next book? Our next book is It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. Why'd you pick that? Because I think it's going to... It can so, happen here? I think it's going to have some disturbing relevance to today's political environment. Mm. Yeah. You said it's so nuanced. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Such because a nuanced I don't say much more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But hey, yeah, so you can look up our website and see what we're reading after that. Um, our website's twoguysonebook.com, and you can comment and leave whatever you want on there within good taste, anyway. Um, and we will share it on the podcast here. We've been doing this for a while. How many comments have we had, Tim? About 100,000, something like that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Very active forums, yeah. heavily moderated. So <laughs> please check right. us out. Keep reading. Until next time.